And Shabbat Shalom, greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. You truly are the remnant and we are blessed to be here this Sabbath. Thank you for being here, each and every one of you. Greet one another in the chat and make those connections. Give us some thumbs up and remember, do subscribe to the ministry channel because it really does help get the analytics out there and we can find one lost sheep and bring them into the fold that is the growth of the remnant of israel in these last days and this week's torah portion is a prophecy of the last days and this week's torah portion is entitled vayechi and Yaakov lived, and Jacob lived. It comes to us from Bereshit, Genesis, chapter 47, and the 28th verse, and it extends all the way through to chapter 50, verse 26. We come to the conclusion of the first book in the Torah, Bereshit, today, and get ready to go into Shemot, Exodus, as we now go through the cycles of the word of Yahuwah. What I like about this chapter, as it comes to the culmination, it is a prophecy about the end days. Genesis chapter 47, verse 28, we see Joseph makes a vow to Jacob, keeping your vows, keeping your promises, and making sure that you stay where Yahuwah wants you to stay, on that narrow path that leads to life. And we find in the 48th chapter that Yaakov, Jacob, blesses Joseph's sons. There's so much in that narrative of prophecy and the traits of the tribes, the traits of the tribes, those of you scattered abroad in the nations. And then we find in chapter 29, we get Jacob's last words to his sons. This, of course, is the culmination of his life and the final blessings and admonitions upon his sons. And then we find in chapter 50, we see that Joseph falls upon his father's face. He weeps over his father and Joseph reassures his brothers. He reassures them and finally we get the death of Joseph and the culmination of Bereshit, Genesis. And in the 28th verse of the 47th chapter, it is written, And Yaakov lived, and Jacob lived vayechi, vayechi in the land of Mitzrayim, 17 years. So the full age of Yaakov was 147 years, and the time drew near that Israel must die. Notice the change there. He is now come to his fullness. The prophecies of his life, the fullness of his life has been fulfilled. He's lived and fulfilled his destiny. He is no longer Yaakov. He is Israel. Because how? Why? Israel is the culmination of the fulfillment of prophecy of the gathering together of what was once dispersed. 
all 12 tribes. And he gets to see that fulfillment as we are getting to see it in our day and in our age. And the collection happens when we're all out in the world, when we're all down in Egypt. And the time drew near that Israel must die. And he called his son Yosef and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh for the oath and deal in chesed and emet with me, with grace and truth unto me. And of course, this was the fattest part of the thigh. This was really about that whatever we now make a commitment and a vow to, this will affect the next generation's Hence, it's near the reproductive organ because it is saying that this is not just between you and me, but this is going to go down to the third and fourth generation. Of course, that is how we need to live. We need to live to exemplify Kedoshah holiness with how we conduct ourselves because it will go down to the third and fourth generation in blessings or in curses. And that's why we Follow the narrow path that leads to life. And he goes on to say, Please do not bury me in Egypt, but I will lie with my fathers, and you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him, and Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. In the 48th chapter, the first verse, it is written, And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, See, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, See, your son Joseph comes to you. And Israel strengthened himself, and he sat upon the bed. And Yaakov um, said to Joseph, El Shaddai appeared to me at Luz, in the land of Canaan. And he blessed me. And he said, See, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make you into a kahal anim. A kahal amin. It means a congregation of nations. A church. You see, the Hebrew word kahal was translated into the Greek word ekklesia, which was translated into the English word church. So people think that the birth of the church, it's a new concept. You don't see the word church in the Old Testament. So therefore, the church is a New Testament concept. It happened after Christ. Not true. The kahal, the congregation, was birthed in Genesis chapter 28. And it is that Abraham would be a congregation of, in the nations, a blessing and a multiplicity. So, kahal is translated into ecclesia, that is translated into church. So, right here, this is again about the church of Israel, which is all 12 tribes being brought together, where he will give this land to your seed after you as an everlasting possession. And now to your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, these are mine as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. 
And your issue, which you beget after them, shall be yours, and shall be called after the name of their brothers in their inheritance. And verse 7, And as for me, when I came from Padam, Rachel died next to me in the land of Canaan on the way. Yet there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, and I buried her there in the way of Ephrath. The same is Bethlehem. And Israel beheld Yosef's sons, and he said, Who are these? And Yosef said to his Abba, Well, these are my sons whom Elohim has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. And of course, this is something that we do traditionally every Shabbat. Uh, upon our sons and upon our daughters when we talk about Rivka, Rebecca, and Rachel. But with the sons, it's Ephraim and Manasseh. This is the traditional Shabbat blessing of multiplicity upon your sons. And this is how it proceeds. And Yosef said to his father, These are my sons whom Elohim has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near to him, and he kissed them, and he embraced them. And Israel said to Yosef, I had not thought to see your face ever again. And see, Elohim has shown me also your Zerah, your seed. And Yosef brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Yosef took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand, toward Israel's right hand, and he brought them near to him. And Israel stretched out his right hand, and he laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly. For Manasseh was the Bachor, the firstborn, and he blessed Yosef and said. And now we come into the Bracha, the blessing. And contained within these next three or four verses is truly, truly, if we break it down in the Hebrew, within these next three or four verses of the blessing is how you and I are to live for Yahweh in our fullest, to live an abundant multiplicity of blessings. We need to align ourselves with the blessing. And there are seven, say seven, which is exemplifies perfection. There are seven perfect ways to join with our Redeemer, Moshiach ben Yosef, so that we can transcend every single situation. I don't care what happens to you. I don't care what kind of pressure you're under. I don't care what kind of thing you have to come up against. It could be your physical health, your spiritual health, your emotional health. It could be any kind of situation you're in. When we align ourselves with this blessing, there are seven perfect ways in which we can attune our life daily to Yahuwah. And I often will be walking somewhere knowing that I have to do a task that I may not want to do, to put myself in a situation that my natural man would rather scurry away from. And I will often 
remember this time and these seven things to align myself and cast out the double-mindedness that would keep me from being all that Yahweh has called me and you to be. Seven things. Panaim, Halak, Ra'ah, Mene, Malach, Ga'al, Ra'ah in the Hebrew. Breaking it down for you within this blessing. Number one, I have turned Panaim and faced the showbread. That's the first thing I remember. And I call to memory to myself when I'm walking and need to go and do something that I may not want to do, that may need courage or whatever. I go, well, I, I am a new creation. I have turned from the world and I face the showbread. Panaim, Mashiach Yahusha, I am forever changed. That's a status change, number one. I have had a status change, which now endues me with supernatural power. Number two, chalak. Yes, I, I, I'm walking to where I do not want to go, but I am not chalak. I am not walking alone. Number two, I am committed to change my behaviors from this day forward in my walk knowingly. Number three, ra'a, ra'a. He will tend to me and he will be my companion and my friend. If I just be faithful, he will tend to me. Meaning, sometimes you can go through something and it's emotionally and spiritually exhausting. I remember when I had to go through my immigration interviews to come to America. It was emotionally and spiritually exhausting. But he tended to me. And I've gone through so much more since those days. But I always know, no matter what, he will tend to me and be my companion and friend through it all. Number three. Number four, mine. I commit to walk. This is big for me. I commit to walk beyond my senses. Continually. I have to. I commit to walk beyond what I hear. I commit to walk beyond what I see. I commit to walk beyond my senses. I will not live by my senses. The world does not understand that. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, they live by their senses. I commit to walk beyond my senses continually. Number five, Malach, with my priest and my teacher, my Malkitzedek Kohen Haggadah. Number six, who has brought me back from death, Gaal. I was dead. And I've been brought back from death. What do you have to fear? Number seven. Ra'ah. He alone, not me, 
He alone is my revenger. He is my deliverer from all natural and moral evil, from all hurt, from all pain, and from all sorrow. And I am actually set free from mine own wretchedness. I mean, that's a lot for you to go, how do you remember all that? Well, these are my meditations upon my heart continually, like a dripping tap. Ask my son. I talk to myself all the time. I walk along talking to myself. I talk to myself all the time, continually. I remember and pray in meditations in all kinds of areas of my life because I get it down deep inside of me. That's just what I do. I used to be, I used to be cautious about it because I didn't want people to see me looking, um, talking to myself and thinking I was crazy. But you know what? People think the worst of me anyway. I don't care anymore. So I just walk along and people are looking at me. I don't care. Because I know that I am meditating on the word of Yahuwah and prayer and things like this. So I'll bring this into my memory. And these things help me. They may not help you. I think they will, though. Let's break it down in the Hebrew. Number one, panaim, which means before the face and servitude of the showbread. Number two, chalak. It means to behave and follow forth forward. Number three, it means to tend a flock, to be a companion friend, a pastor in the pasture. And number four, we've got to walk above our senses. An ode is in a continuance. Ode, that's a double phrase there, ode. Above my senses continually. Number five, Malak, the high priest, the teacher the great shepherd. Number six, Ga'al, to buy back and deliver because he has bought me back and he will deliver me from all things. He is my redeemer. And number seven, Ra'ah. He's going to deliver me from what? My natural self, my natural man, my natural fears, moral evil, hurt, sorrow, trouble, mine own wretchedness. So I encapsulate that with a scripture consolidation of I have turned and faced the showbread committed to change my hate behaviors from this day forward knowing he will tend to me and be my companion and my friend that I commit to walk beyond my senses continually with my high priest and teacher who has brought me back from that stinketh death that I once lived and I am not going to look for revenge myself because he alone is my revenger he is my deliverer from all and all means all natural and moral evil all of my hurts all of my pains all of my sorrows I am actually set free from me and if there's anybody you want to be set free from it's me or you because you you, you're wretched too isn't that what the proverb says and now let's look at how it is broken down in the scripture and he and all of these Hebrew words broken down are in these three verses and he blessed Joseph and said 
Elohim before whom my father Avraham and Yitzhak did have their halacha. Elohim who fed me all of my chayim lifelong to this day. The Malak who redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads and let my name Israel be named on them. And the name of my father Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a vaidagu chlerov. A multitude like fish in the midst of the earth. Remember the breakfast by the sea when the disciples cast the net out on the side of the boat and it did not break? It contained 153 fish, which in Hebrew gematria is the numeric expression of the prophecy of Hosea chapter 1 verse 10. These are the sons of the living Elohim that will be caught in the net of Torah and gathered into the boat in the last days. So much here, and not one will escape when they come into the net of Torah. And that's how he's gathered us all in, through the truth of his word. And we are a multitude of fish in the midst of the earth. It is written, of course, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, where the disciples are sent to fish for the men of Israel and are called to be, of course, Yahushua's fishermen. What are we doing? We are sent to catch the wandering and floating fish of Israel in the midst of the earth. Will you be fishers of men, the prophecy says in Jeremiah? Or if they don't listen to the fishermen, then who will come next? The hunters. Islam, hunt you out because you're a stiff-necked people. Would you rather be fished out by the good news or would you rather be hunted out and driven out? I would rather be fished out. What chapter are we in? 43. Where? All right, sorry, sorry, sorry. Read me verse 16. What does it say in verse 16? The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named on them, in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude. Oh, good. I just read it. Good. I just I, I did um, my Bible search here and didn't get the verse in. All right. So what we see is Ephraim and Manasseh had to daga in the Hebrew, which is spelled with a Dalet Gimel Chay. They had to, which is interesting, they had to daga, kind of sounds like another pagan god, doesn't it? The fish god, right? Dagon. It's interesting to know that the Roman Catholic priests, what do they wear? They wear the hat of Dagon the fish god, that for us truly to comprehend being Israel, we have to overcome the traditions of Dagon, the fish god. We have to overcome the deceptions of Dagon, the fish god. We have to become the Dagar, not the Dagon, meaning we have to become a teeming school of fish in the midst of the nations. 
And that's why he fed five loaves and two fish. You feed the five loaves of Torah, the five books of Torah, and the two fish, the two houses of Israel, Ephraim and Judah, and you'll get back baskets full. How many baskets full? Twelve tribes, twelve baskets full, all coming into the hand of the master. That's the message. If you want to get 12 baskets full of teeming fish, then you can't be teaching the traditions of Dagon. The high, the priest, the papal Roman fish god. With all the traditions back to 325 of the common era, the Nicene Creed and all of the papal bull. It's not going to gather you in anything but trouble. Ask the South Americans, the Aztecs, nothing but conquistadors and trouble, right? Wrong. If you want to get blessed, you've got to come in as a teeming school of fish into Israel. And that happens by coming back to the five loaves of bread, the Torah, the two houses of Israel, the two fish, um, Judah and Ephraim. And there you will have 12 baskets full of Israel. And that's the full prophecy that is told in this piece and context of Scripture. Verse 17, it is written, And when Yosef saw that his Abba laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, of course, this is the infamous crossing of the hand blessing, but it was purposeful and intentional. It displeased him. And he held up his Abba's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Yosef said to his Abba, Not so, my Abba, for this is the Bachor, this is the firstborn. Put your right hand upon his head. But his Abba, his father, refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than him. And his Zerah, his seed, shall become the fullness of the Gentile nations. In the Hebrew, Melo, Melo Goim, Melo Goim, which we find actually in the Brit Hadashah, Romans 11. Verse 25, Paul speaks of this. This is the teeming multitude of fish caught in the net. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. The Melochagoim. So Paul was talking about this end time prophecy of the gathering of all 12 tribes into the basket. The bread basket. And he goes on to say in Romans 11.26, So all Israel shall be saved, that is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer. Who is that? Moshiach ben Yosef. And he shall turn away the ungodliness from Yaakov, from Jacob. Lack of faith. He's going to bring you back from dead works into a redeemed state. That is the deliverer's purpose. Powerful. Meaning, Yahushua will remove the natural and moral wickedness of Jacob, 
of me, of you. And his eyes shall no longer be blinded in part by the red of wine, and his teeth shall no longer be clenched with the white of Laban's milk, Laban meaning white like milk, which is actually, we'll see this in a few more verses, the vine and foal prophecy of Judah. The vine and foal prophecy. So, Melochagoyim, meaning the fullness of the Gentiles, Romans 11, verse 25. Powerful, very powerful and deep. We must reflect upon this. It's so easy just to go and buzz through it like a buzzsaw. But we must meditate on the impact of this prophecy in our day. Ephraim's seed is collected in the ten tribes of the northern kingdom that produces the fullness of the Gentiles. And Paul confirms this understanding. And now people are waking up as Judah, as the real, true house of Judah. And this is now all happening in our day and our age. Those that were called African-Americans are waking up and going, what a bunch of nonsense. We have only been taught black history from the 17th century forward. I want to go all the way back to the times of the kings and the prophets. Oh, but you don't want to do that. Because we want to keep you all pigeonholed and away from one another. Because the last thing that we want is a multi-ethnic tribe of people coming out of stinking Egypt in accord with one another, following their king. No, it's all about division. Then they can conquer us. I am so excited to see what Yahuwah is doing with his people. Right, Brian? 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 Sorry, little in-house joke there. You'd have to be here to experience it, wouldn't you? My goodness. Verse 20, and he blessed them that day, saying, In you shall Israel bless, saying, Elohim make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said to Joseph, See, I die, but Elohim shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, and I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. And chapter 49, verse 1, it is written, And Yaakov called to his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. We'll pause there for impact. Right? The last days. Now Ryan is paying attention because he's afraid that he shall be called upon. Hmm? Gather yourself together and listen, you sons of Yaakov, and listen to Israel, your Abba. Reuven, you are my Bachor, my might and the beginning of my strength. 
the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. I look at this and I think of the old man. The natural man, you know, we grew, I grew up so, you know, full of myself and we're all taught to be full of our natural man and full of pride. Oh, the excellency of my strength. But the reality of it is, until you come to know Yahushua, you are just unstable as water and you shall never, ever excel because you are a dead man walking. No matter what you do, until you have a status change from the natural firstborn to the spiritual firstborn, you're going to be a Reuven. You're going to be a Reuven and you're going to end up just like him. You will be unstable as water. You'll never excel because you get defiled by your spiritual and moral conscience. Simeon and Levi, they are brothers. They are instruments of cruelty in their dwellings. O oh, my being, come not into their secret. Let not honor be united to their congregation. For in their anger they killed a man, and in their displeasure and self-will they ham hamstrung an ox in pleasure. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their anger for it was cruel. I will divide them in Yaakov, Jacob, and scatter them in Israel. Simeon, kill him. Levi, of course, the temple mount. I mean, this is the true thing. If you look at the, gen the, the generations, you don't want a Levite messing around with anything other than the temple sacrifices. Because if not, the Cohens, the Levites, they're going to be building atomic bombs. They're going to be doing all kinds of destructive things. You need to have them focus either as a kosher butcher or in the times of the temple up in the Temple Mount. Because if not, they'll be using their natural abilities to destroy and kill. And if you look at those that invented the nuclear and atomic bomb, most of them had, you know, some kind of Levitical origin. You want to put them to good work. But nowadays, what you have is Judaism looking to get Levites to bring about what? The reinstitution of the temple sacrifices. That's not going to be a good thing. Why? Because it's going to lead people to destruction where ultimately they'll follow after the wrong priest, the wrong high priest. Because there has been a transference that we're going to get into here in Genesis 49 verse 10. And, of course, the writer of the book of Hebrews talks about the importance of the transference of the sacrificial system. So you don't want to go with Levi and Simeon, especially in a nuclear age, and you certainly don't want to go back to a temple age that has been transferred to a different priesthood order. Does that make sense? Because ultimately, we are going to have to deal with Levi's cruelty to animals. He lamed an ox. Dare I say that this will be played out in the reestablishment of the animal sacrifices upon the Anatonia fortress by, of course, the apostate followers of an apostate religion to the applause of the Messianic community. That's the, that's the really scary thing. Levi is well known for his animal cruelty and the pushing for the reinstitution of animal sacrifice. 
I, I still, all of these years later, I do not re- get how believers reconcile that with the book of Hebrews and the blood of Yahushua. I've, I've, I, don't, I don't get that. But Isaiah 66, in the third verse, it is written, He that kills an ox as if he slew a man. He that sacrifices a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offers a grain offering as if he offered pig's blood. He that burns incense as if he blessed an idol. Yes, they have chosen their own way and their beings delight in their own abominations. I will choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one did answer. And when I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. You see, Yahuwah delights in his son. And his son brings about the sacrifice and the blood of transference. That is Yahuwah's delight. In verse 8, it is written, Yehuda, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall hallel, praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, to him shall the gathering of the nations be. And I've done numerous, numerous teachings on this in the past, so I will not beleaguer it. But in the tenth verse here, specifically, the key is of, in, and in Torah, and until. Until means what? Impending change. I will walk down this road until I get to the traffic light, and then I will walk down that road until impending change. So the question that I pose many messianics is, in the Torah, is there an impending change clause? No. Well, what does this mean? This is the impending change clause. It's already in the Torah. It's been built into the Torah. It's called the transference clause. It's a clause in a covenant. This is contract language. It's already been there. So people say, you can't change the Torah. Well, hang on. Was there an impending change clause in the Torah from the beginning? And can that be enacted at the time when the Redeemer comes? Well, yes. It's already been there. This is very powerful. And if we can't get our head around this paradigm shift, this is the crux of the Malkizedek. You'll be ever clouded by the wine and the clenched teeth, the milk of deception. Laban and a cloudy vision. Meaning, it's not a change of Torah, 
to enact the change in Torah that has always been in the Torah. Does that make sense? Donnie boy is looking totally perplexed. No, you get it, don't you? You've been here long enough, you should get it. I'll give you four scriptures in the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, that will confirm this. Hebrews 9.10, which stood only in meats and sacrifices and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinance imposed on them until impending change, the change clause of Torah, the time of reformation. I would say that when he rose from the dead, that was a time of reformation. Would you agree? Quite simple. Galatians 3.19. Wherefore then serveth the law, the book of the law, verse 10, proceeding, it was added because of transgressions. What was added? The book of the law because of transgressions of the golden calf until, there's the impending change clause, the seed should come, meaning the time of reformation, to whom the promise was made. It's all referencing this impending clause in the Torah. If you had a, um, a will or a testimony or a trust or something like that, you would go through the indenture if it was a trust, you would go through the covenants, and you would read it carefully and you would make sure that you were following it according to its indenture or to its agreements and covenants. And if there was a clause in there that could be enacted, oftentimes there's a, there's, a, there's a trigger clause that if this happens or if you're under some kind of duress, you can, you can enact the trigger clause. Okay? The, all of these things, if these are in the indenture or these are in the covenants and the agreements, then you enact them because they've been put in there to protect you. And who needs to be protected? We do from our own sinful flesh. And the only way that that can happen is by the trigger clause of the until impending change that my blood cannot redeem me, but I'll bring the trigger clause in of the Redeemer's blood to cover me. Does that make sense? It's a transference clause. We see it every day in our modern legal world, but we can't see it when it's in the scripture right before us. Acts 3 verse 21 until the times of restitutions of all things again there's that impending change and you can see it in peter 2 in verse 12 now in hebrews 7:12 it is written for the priesthood being changed there is made a necessity also a change of the torah there's that clause second corinthians 3:11 if that which is done away was glorious, how much more that which remains is glorious. The book of the law, what remains, the impending change, the book of the covenant, now paid for by the better blood, better sacrifices, better priesthood, better covenant. It's all so much better once that trigger clause has been enacted. The danger is gone. Isn't that amazing? It's dangerous if you have to manage all things yourself. Enact the clause and it's all taken care for you. 
It's been built that way. Oh, I've got to sit down. That's deep. Isn't it, Ryan? How old are you, Ryan? It's deep for a 12-year-old, isn't it? Some deep meat. <laughs> uh, cranberry, yes, we're having cranberry this afternoon. It's all about repentance. It's all about being known by Yahuwah. Remember Tamar? Tamar? See, I've still got that Englishness in me. My wife's called Tamara. But when I was a boy, Tamara's not a very popular name in England. It would be Tamara. My mum would always call my wife Tamara until we said, it's Tamara like camera. And then we got the switch, you know. So again, Tamar, Tamar. So forgive me. You can get the England out of me. Or you can get, well, whatever that phrase is. I've got it all upside down and backwards. But referencing Tamar, Judah said, She is more a Zadik, righteous than I. Wow. Why? Because she humbled herself, therefore fulfilling the heart of the Torah. And every time anybody meets my wife and they go, Oh, she's way more righteous than him. Because she's a lot more humble than me. But I'm trying, I'm learning. But oftentimes, the, the criticism I've had over the years is people misunderstand my confidence for, for maybe being uh, prideful. But it's not. I'm confident in the word of Yahuwah, not in myself, but I'm confident in the word of Yahuwah. And I, I'm, I'm passionate about it. And I am confident that I know that he has transformed my life. So don't mistake that confidence for pride. It's confidence in him, you see. So it's all right to be bold and courageous for the word of Yahuwah. But she is more righteous than I, is what Judah said. Because she humbled herself, she fulfilled the Torah. Because if, think about it, if she had not acted, if Tamar had not acted, there would have been no seed in Judah, would there? The tribe would have just fizzled away and come to nothing. There would be no tribe of Judah. Meaning there would have been no waymaker. There would have been no redeemer. So Tamar's meekness brought about the meekness of Yahusha. Think about that. Her meekness brought about the meekness of Yahusha. And it's the meek that shall inherit the earth. The key to knowing Yahuwah is therefore what? Repentance and meekness. So look at the connections in the, in the account of Tamar and Judah back in Genesis. Very powerful. There's this break in the narrative where Judah goes down and he departs from his brothers. And you're like, why does this break in the narrative appear here? Well, it's interesting because it now will tie into this prophecy. Because remember Judah's son, what was his name? 
Shelah, Shelah, which actually is spelt the same as Shiloh, Shelah and Shiloh. Both words are of the same root word, Shelah. So Tamar was not given to Shelah, meaning the one in legal possession of the rod of rule, which was Tamar, cannot be given to a harlot mixture. Because Shalah, Judah's son, was a harlot mixture, right? Tamar, she had the kingship, she had the rod of Judah. She had the rod of rule. If we are going to be everything that Yahweh wants us to be as believers, we cannot be joined to a harlot mixture. It's very important around this time of year, as all of your friends and people who allegedly are in the faith are joining with a pagan harlot mixture. We have to come out of that if we're really going to walk with the rod of rule, with the true anointing. Because Tamar cannot be given to a harlot mixture because she was the one in legal possession of the rod of rule. How can we expect, think about this, how can we expect to be walking in kingdom power if we're still caught up in a pagan mixture? We can't. It dissipates and frazzles the brain. It becomes, you become lukewarm in the faith. You become worldly. You become accommodating partner to the world. Why would we want that? You see, Shelah's mother was a Canaanite. That's a cursed mix. Those that have the legal right of rule must be found meek and more righteous than Judah. Not a self-righteous religion like Judaism, but they also can't be corrupted spirituals with a pagan mixture. It really is a narrow road, isn't it? The rod must go to the one who can bring forth true repentance, which is Tamar, who is more righteous than Judah. Judah had the appearance of godliness, but he denied its power. But she was able to birth the fruits of Messiah, Perez. The rod, then, belongs to those who hold the testimony of Yahushua and keep his Torah the Malkizedic, meek, and repentant remnant that holds the rod of rule. Does that make sense? There's a lot to think about there. But right within that narrative, you see the difference and the distinction between walking with Elohim and being caught up in a pagan mixture. Judah gave up the rod. He gave up the right to lead. And if we continue to cling to the doctrines of men, or we refuse to repent and we refuse to humble ourselves, we will lose access to the kingdom of Yahweh and the access will go to them to whom it belongs, the meek and repentant Malkitzedek remnant. We have to be repentant. Judah gave away his rod to Tamar, and Tamar was the granddaughter of Shem, and Shem was the Malkit Zedek. 
Just as Judah has given away his rod of rule to those in the Melchizedek priesthood today. How? Because he is sitting by the wayside waiting for Levi to institute animal sacrifices up on the temple mount with Simeon. When in reality there has been a transference to the meek and fruitful bow of Judah, of Joseph and Ephraim, all culminated in the work of redemption by Yahusha. Man, it's a lot. Look at verse 11, because there's more. Where are you going, Brian? Don't leave. Oh, you're going to the loo? Okay. Binding his vole, his, uh, bind, <laughs> binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. So this is the, vo- the foal and the vine prophecy. What does Judah do? Think about it. Judah ties his, vo- his foal to the vine. He tied his foal. What was it that Yahushua came into Jerusalem on? A foal. And where was it? It was tied to a vine. And he told his disciples to go get it. Well, what kind of vine was it? Was it an olive tree? Was it a grape vine? It was the cursed fig vine. The foal was tied to the cursed fig vine. And it has to be untied from the cursed fig vine to bring in the Redeemer. Meaning this, Judah's foal is tied to the cursed fig tree of no faith. Judaism chose to tie itself to the vine of unbelief, rejecting the two-part witness, which Isaiah tells us is to the Torah and to the testimony. If you speak not this, the truth is not in you. We're instructed as believers to go and untie the foal. Go and untie the foal and bring it to Yahushua as his disciples. That's what Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 7 is all about. You see, the foal is released from its former owners. Who owned the foal before? The Levitical hierarchy owned the foal. The foal has to be released from its former owners, the Levitical hierarchy. It needs to be taken by the disciples. Bear with me here. This is a foal that had never been ridden before, meaning the Malkitzedic priesthood had never come into its fullness before, that was released from working a vine that was withering. The vine that was withering was the book of the law. 
It was coming to its end. It was a withering vine. And by releasing the foal from its former owners, the Levitical hierarchy, and bringing it to Yahusha, it instituted the beginning, the ignition of the Genesis 49.10 prophecy of the impeding change clause, the trigger clause of the Torah trust indenture, if you will. Because it is a trust. In order to bring us about the high priest in the book of the covenant, you see, Torah without the Zedek is just as much a withering vine as grace without law. Now that's going to upset a bunch of people. Torah without the Zedek is just as much a withering vine, yes, you heard me right, just as much a withering vine as grace without law. We have got a whole bunch of messianic people that have jumped from the frying pan into the fire. Grace without law, now they've jumped into Torah without Zedek. You literally just fulfilled the prophecy of Balaam. You just did some vineyard swapping. You just jumped from the vineyard of Christianity into the vineyard of Judaism and you missed the narrow road that leads to life where the Malak of Yahuwah meets you on the donkey. I'm going home. Are you coming with me, Brian? I mean, Ryan? No, you're not. He came back from the loo. At least he came back. Yahusha has to be allowed his triumphant entry into your heart. He has to be allowed his triumphant entry into the new Jerusalem as the Zedek, And we have to untie the foal from traditional interpretations of Israel, traditional interpretations of Torah, and traditional interpretations of the priesthood. Because, verse 11, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Why the repetition? Aren't clothes and garments the same thing? Right? Why would you say he washed his clothes and his garments? Aren't garments clothes and clothes garments? Why, why the repetition? Well, that means that we need to pay attention because there is no idle word in Scripture. We know in Scripture that blood and grapes are synonymous. Two events are being prophesied here. Two events that Judah was the main conspirator of. Brian. Brian. Both of those events surrounding Joseph. Of course, the lesser Joseph... And of course, now the greater Joseph. Number one, two events. Judah was the main conspirator and he washed. Judah was the main conspirator and he washed Joseph's garments in wine, the covering of goat's blood. Meaning Judah stole the birthright by washing the birthright tunic in blood. That tunic had been passed down. It was the garment that Adam was clothed with 
after the sacrifice of the first animal to cover as a temporary covering for sinner, where he changed from garments of light to garments of skin, and then on Yom Kippur, given the Malkitzedic cloak to show that that blood sacrifice of animals was a temporary covering and it could only give full Kippurah atonement covering through a transference because the garment of flesh, your garment of flesh will never atone for your sin. You have to be clothed in Yahusha's garment which is Malkitzedic. So, what happened is Judah stole the birthright by washing the birthright tunic, the Malkitzedic, in blood. But it was never meant to be washed in the blood of an animal, was it? That's not going to bring about Mashiach ben Yosef. It's just going to end up breaking Jacob's heart and bringing you into Jacob's trouble his first trouble. Number two, Judah was the main conspirator at the Feast of Grapes, the Passover, which represented the blood of redemption where Joseph was stripped and judged. And then there was a tunic transference. Verse 12, his eyes shall be red with wine, meaning Judah's sight is going to be clouded by wine, blood. He's unable to see the true blood of the Redeemer, Yahusha. Is that true of Judaism today? Oh, for sure and for certain. And his teeth are tightly clenched with white, with milk, meaning Judah's teeth shall be laban, laban, meaning white, as milk, Laban withheld what was rightfully Israel's, the birthright, just as Judah has. Like Laban withheld from his mouth, meaning his teeth were tightly clenched, the testimony of Yahusha and the birthright of Malkitzedek is tightly clenched and withheld from Judaism. They will not even speak of his name. And until that changes, True repentance cannot happen. This truly is an end-time prophecy. There's so much here I could keep banging on like an old kettle drum. But I tell you what, I hope that you, in your reading and your meditations, prayers and studies during the week, in preparation, go through the Torah portion and dig out what you can too. Because for me... What I want to focus on is the seven perfect ways that we can align ourselves with our Redeemer and transcend every single situation. And that begins by recognizing who is the Malkitzedic High Priest and that he has redeemed us and that we are a new creation. This is powerful. We are living in the prophecies of Joseph coming to its fullness and fruition. We are the multitude of fish, the 153, the sons of the living Elohim, being gathered in. All 12 tribes, you guys, scattered abroad, tuning in, coming in to the fullness of the faith. But we cannot partake of a harlot mixture. 
Next week, they're going to be doing all of that nonsense. But you and I, we shall stay meek and mild as the Redeemer's has called us to be those sons of the living Elohim. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Well, I know I went on a little bit, didn't I, Brian? Ryan. All right. See what you guys have to say in the chat here. Red, red. Oh, oh, hang on. Get rid of this. Here we go. And uh, yes, if you have a comment or something that you would like to say, put it up in the chat and redline me so I can get some attention with all of the chat here. And give us some thumbs up right now. If you're still still watching, you're still here, then you are the patient remnant, then give us some thumbs up. And if you're not already subscribed to the ministry channel, just hit the subscription button right now because then that will also help as well. So please, brethren, do that now. And remember, remember to connect com forward slash connect. You can connect six days a week through all of our online platforms. Shabbat Fellowship is a great breakout session. Shabbat mornings with your coffee and your toast and Marmite, chit-chatting away all over the globe. You can get Marmite shipped direct to your house and you can be one with me breaking bread in the... What are you looking at me like that for? You don't do Marmite? Oh, we will have to remedy that, my friend. We will have to remedy that. All right, enough silliness. All right, hit me up with some truth today. Oh, all right. I'm in a kind of a strange mood today. Oh, Shabbat Shalom, the Libby Tube. Libby Tube, thank you so much for sending the, uh, the gift. Um, but it, it didn't work in our, our player. It said that it was PAL or something. It was like set up for Europe. So then we were like, try to get it for American setup, but we couldn't find it. So then I ordered a new DVD player, um, for the PAL to play it, but it didn't play on that. So we're kind of trying to figure out how to, how to view it. So, but anyway, what a blessing. It looks like it's going to be super fun. We totally down our, up our road, down our street or around our avenue. It is. We're going to figure out how to play it, the Libby Chew. But, uh, if you've got any suggestions, let me know because so far it seems to be on a different system, the PAL system. Is that right, Moshe? PAL. So we even got a PAL DVD player, a multi-region, and it still didn't work. All right. Oh, here we go. Karen Long, she was paying attention. Shabbat Shalom, Karen. Top student, Torah without the Malkizedek is just as much a withering vine as grace without law. All right, see how that one goes over in your next Messianic meeting. I think they'll kick you out just like they kick me out. Oh, my goodness. We are on fire, Megan W. and Giant Killer. We are always on fire. <sighs> what a life. Praise Yah. Praise Yahweh for all of you that I'm not alone in this quest for 
<laughs> for enlightenment and truth in the Malkit Zedek. Joe Rogan, all right, Joe Rogan's on with us. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, finally waking up for, to the truth. Praise Yahuwah. At Yosef, this part always confused me. Does that mean all the Levitical laws don't apply ever? No, it doesn't. All of the Levitical laws that are um, dealing with sacrifice, the sacrificial aspect of it, has been transferred over into the Zedek by a better covenant, a better priesthood, and better blood. But there are so many laws within Vaikra, the book of Leviticus, that of course still apply, but we are not going to do the sacrificial part with them because the sacrifice is repentance and tears. But, you know, read Leviticus 20 on how to behave morally sexually and as a uh, a believer does that apply of course it does but then when you get into the sacrificial aspect of it there is a transference so all of the moral and um, spiritual obligations are still there of course it's a rightly dividing the word of truth it's still the word of Yahweh it's Kadosh it's holy I mean, I, I teach my children the book of Leviticus. I mean, that's, I mean, that's boom, that's solid. I mean, you want to teach your children how to live and, and walk uprightly before Yahuwah? Then read the book of Leviticus. That is how. Yeah, am I going to go out and stone somebody? No. No. That, there's a transference. We're supposed to go to, you know, the, the authorities. Let them deal with that, right? But, but, but. Do we, do we still behave the way we're instructed to behave? Yes, for sure and for certain. Oh, truth like Velcro, sweet. Thank you so much. Well, Matthew just confirmed his wife's name. Matthew, she is humble, but you are spiritual, so you are both have equal measures of a gift from Yah. Oh, praise Yahweh. My wife is very spiritual too, and she is um, keeping me humble because she exemplifies that to me. We are under the Malkitzedic priesthood now. That is correct. Praise Yahweh. I don't know why I'm trying to get up all in the grill of the computer here. I can see I've got my spectacles on. I'm just used to doing it. Can see it right from back here and here. Yes. Now, if I do this, it's not so good. Right. Yosef. So all the Torah ministries I went to are wrong. I'm confused. Well. What are you confused about? Put a question up there. If they're trying to, um, if they're looking forward to the reinstitution of the Levitical sacrifices, yes, wrong. When that's just Judaism, right? I mean, do you believe in Torah portions? Yosef, we're teaching the Torah portions right now. Torah portions is a good tradition. It's not a tradition that gets in the way of keeping the commandments. It helps you. Therefore, you know, Paul kept the traditions. He just didn't keep a bunch of pagan traditions. The Torah portion is not a pagan tradition. It's a good tradition. 
Oh, here we go. Here comes the brains from Louisiana. None of Yahweh's word is done away with, but the law that it administered is determined by what priesthood is reigning. Watch Matthew's teaching on Yitro and his Malkitetic series at Yosef. That is the Libby tube. And um, Libby, thank you so much. She can make sense of my madness. Beacon Hill Ministries is pretty good at making sense of my madness too. Yes, because they went from lawlessness to weightiness of the book of the law and missed the covenant. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. White glove janitorial services. <laughs> ah, yeah, that's kind of cool. I'm confused. Won't there be sacrifices in the millennial kingdom? That is a misreading of the book of Ezekiel. But we've done a teaching series on that too. Oh, there's so much to learn, isn't there? Myself too. All right, lots of good, lots of good questions, though. Everybody's thinking. I love it. I love it. I do not have all the answers, brethren, but together, when we press in, Yahweh will give us the answers. That's for sure and for certain. I am on this absolute spiritual quest just with you too. I'm just glad that we are gathering together, all 12 tribes, and we are headed to the Feast of Yahuwah. Remember, we've got Passover coming up here. That's the next Moed. So we prepare for the Passover. We do hope to, of course, be celebrating the Passover up here in Oregon and that you would come and join us and gather with us together. So keep an eye out on that. I'm sure we will put the um, information of that up here in the next couple of months for you to prepare for the Passover. Of course, that is so, so promising. Shiloh says, a prompting came literally up via your statement regarding the showbread and the five loaves and the fish, perhaps alluding to the five types of follower. Oh, here we go. The 5,000, the 70, the 12, the 3, and the 1. Yeah, well, that, that would be something to unpack. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Yes, World of Vargas. Go to TorahToTheTribes.com to connect. Yosef, connect with us, brother Yosef, and we will help um, try and bring some understanding, as I'm sure you will bring much needed revelation to us too. We work together. This is not at the corner of all knowledge. We are working together, and that is what is so exciting. Okay, we're not throwing anyone under the bus here. Eli V says, at Torah to the Tribe Shabbat Fellowship, Eli Volkov, we visit a local Messianic fellowship sometimes where they will not say the name of Yahuwah, but all the songs are by the power of your name and in your name. Exactly. So then they're going, going against the Ten Commandments. So it says, you shall not bring my name to vain emptiness. How do you bring it to vain emptiness? Well, how about removing it from the scriptures close to 7,000 times and replacing it with the name of a British land merchant, a lord, or, you know, the name of a gourd, G-A-W-D, mentioned in the prophets, or saying the name, Hashem. Well, what is the name? Well, why are you scared to speak the name? Yeah, I don't think that we should be talking about the name in the, in the loo, in the water closet. You know, there are times where you might want to say, 
you know, Adonai or Elohim. Because it is his sacred and holy name. And I don't think we should be broadcasting it to, you know, people casting our pearl before swine. I'm not going to be saying it um, to somebody that is, um, is disrespectful and dishonorable unless I'm doing deliverance ministry or something like that. But even then, if somebody's demonic and um, they, 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 they're uh, manifesting, there might be a time not to say that. There may be a time too, but that's the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But yeah, I mean, sometimes you see people and they, they say his name, oh, they over say it. We can't make it common the other way too. So it's about, it's definitely a balance, but we, we shouldn't be replacing his name because how, how are the nations to know? I mean, that's the whole purpose of why the patriarchs dug wells because that was, that was like handing out tracts back in the Old Testament, right? Because somebody, you'd have a pilgrimer or a sojourner traveling through the desert. They'd be dying of thirst and starvation. And all of a sudden, they'd come across a well, the living water. And they'd, they'd find sustenance. And they'd be like, they'd go into the next town and they'd go, what is the name of this well? And it would be the name and one of the attributes of Yahuwah. And therefore, they would want to go and find out about the deity of which the name, um, the well was named after one of his attributes. That's evangelism, right? You were just saved through that, that miraculous intervention of somebody dropping a well there. So we need to think of it like that. We're going to gather you in, Yosef, into the household of faith. And um, we, we, we want to help and um, encourage you. So glad to have you here. Super glad to have you here. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Beacon Hill Ministries. Oh, Beacon Hill, let's give you a uh, muzzle tov to Beacon Hill because he has a new baby. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. And um, his... Um, his family is growing. What a blessing. What a blessing. I hope you guys had a blessed, blessed first week with your newborn. I'm sure you are exhausted. <laughs> oh. White glove janitorial services. What flag are you hoisting up there? I don't, I don't recognize that, Latoya. What flag are you hoisting? It's not a pirate flag, so we're okay. Oh, it's Jamaica. Nice, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Oh, right. You know your flags, John. Somewhat, huh? Yes, Yosef. At Torah to the Tribes, I went from Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. I met to saying all the prayers before Sabbath. Did you teach there before coming to Torah? Calvary was verse by verse. Yes, I did. I did teach at Calvary Chapel, not Philadelphia. I've never been to Philly, Philly, Manili, never been there. But uh, 
you know, we'll see. Oh, the Khazarian Mafia, truth like Velcro. Oh, okay. Watch out for the Khazarian Mafia. Oh, here's a good question. Truth seekers, you mentioned the Passover. We have family members that we want to minister to that aren't in Torah. Is it wrong to invite them to a Seder? No, it's not. It's a great way to evangelize and bring people in and show them the wonderful truth of Torah. Now, again, I'd be real careful with Passover. I've made this mistake in the past where you bang out a Jew Jewish Seder that just goes on for hours and hours and hours. And it's like there's no spirit and, there, and it's just like, oh, it's just drones on and on and on. So, you know, you can mix it up. We do have a Torah to the Tribe Seder that we can put up on the website if you want to download that's a lot um, more abridged and therefore gives you the freedom to be able to just minister to the people in love. And, and it, it's, it doesn't bang on for just absolutely hours. Joe Rogan, Jamaica. Thank you. We figured that out. Thank you. Good, good, good. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. We are blessed and Shabbat Shalom to you all out there scattered abroad. Be blessed. Stay safe. Bless one another in the chat. And thank you, all of you, for your letters. I got some gifts this week. I got some, uh, some wonderful cross-stitching and sewing and just really kind things. So thank you. It does lift up my soul, and it really touches my heart, especially when the young children do things like that. I get little pictures and cards. I mean, it really does. It really touches me. I, I keep all my children's stuff, and then to have some, some things from your children is truly rich. Man, it's rich. It's powerful. So I feel very blessed, very, very humbled. I really do. And thank you all so much for just tuning in and being a part of this ministry. And I know that Yahweh is working greatly in your lives too. We just must stay the course, stay positive, and stay in the Word and in prayer. And it's the meek that shall inherit the earth. Stay away from the pagan harlot mixture and keep the truth, which is that narrow road to life. It's wonderful to see the growth in all of you. It's wonderful to see the growth in myself, too. I look back on some of the old Torah parshas, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I really was salty. So, you know, I think a lot of it is that um, just getting older and seeing more and, and having more of that balance. Don't you think, Ryan? Exactly, exactly. How did you do at school this week? Everything was good? No fights, no trouble, no suspensions this week? Nothing. Good, good, excellent, excellent. We're keeping an eye on you. We are keeping an eye on you. Shabbat shalom!